One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Andre Picard, health columnist at The Globe and Mail, author of the upcoming book, Neglected No More, The Urgent Need to Improve the Lives of Canada's Elders in the Wake of a Pandemic. Welcome back. Hi. Andre, today, the vaccination rollout. Is Trudeau fucking this up? Or am I just getting impatient because I'm selfish and privileged? The answer is yes. Also, <laughs> misinformation super spreaders. It's a made in Canada bipartisan effort. Thanks for being here. Thanks. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Akbar Nurlibayev, Ben Angus. Nicole Penak, Emily Barsanti Innes, Dana Sakura, Sarah Gaspard, Hannah Doucette, and Gabrielle Arquette. My name is Gabrielle. I'm an herbalist in southern Ontario, and I support Canada Land because responsible journalism matters to me. Canada Land introduces me to stories, reporters, and perspectives I might not otherwise hear about. I also love that they've been adding more investigative journalism to their offerings and that they're hiring reporters to cover French language and Indigenous beats. Keep up the good work and thank you for the socks. The global race for the COVID-19 vaccine is at full throttle. Canada's sluggish vaccine rollout is supposed to pick up speed this week, though today there was another setback. Vaccine makers like Moderna 
promise orders will be filled. Well, all these delays mean Canada will not hit its vaccine targets. Andre, I want to try to get some purchase on this, like the one story right now. There's lots of stories right now, but there's one story, which is like, when am, when am I getting jabbed with the vaccine? And I have lost the plot entirely. There's so much noise around this. There's so much emotion around this. It's so politicized. Can I go through some of the different like information sources that I'm trying to make sense of here? Sure. There's a lot of editorializing. If I read Matt Gurney in the National Post, he just calls this embarrassing. I think Rex Murphy said the same thing. It's the worst government Canada's ever had. The consensus amongst these pundits is that we're being poorly led in the vaccination rollout, and it's Trudeau's fault. Gurney writes, we are rich. Canada is a rich country, but we don't act like one. And, and you know, Globe and Mail's editorial board, other countries are making vaccines, why can't Canada? You know, Glenn McGregor sharing this list. I'm seeing this list again and again where you see Israel at the top of the list and you go down and you Spaniards, Spaniards are beating us for God's sakes. And, and then we're at like 52. There's just this like consensus that we're, we're, we're failing and other countries are doing so much better than us. And it is it like it does get to you when you read like, OK, fine, Israel, Israel, you know, everybody served in the military. You, you can get those people to fall into line. They're at 69 percent vaccination of adult population. But we're used to comparing ourselves favorably against the United States. They're at 15 percent vaccination for grownups. We're at three percent. The tenor of the anti-Trudeau thing, usually I just like think like people are so irrationally angry at this guy that I dismiss their arguments before I read them sometimes. But then I start to get a little bit angry at him when I, when I read those stats. And then I read Doug Saunders in your newspaper. He says, the me first spirit of vaccine nationalism isn't just selfish, it's self-harm. There, that really, this is a global thing. We're all in it together. And the, there are other countries that should be getting vaccinated before us because they're being affected in a way that we're not by this. And if they're vaccinated first, that helps the global pandemic stop. And I'm just imposing some kind of like first world privilege on this whole thing. And really, I, I should just calm the hell down. And, you know, Jerry Butts saying like, this is just a moment that we're all going to look back on embarrassed that we made this into a partisan thing. Everyone's going to get their vaccine calmed down. So I don't know. It's hard to separate the signal from the noise here, the partisanship from like, shouldn't we be putting pressure on government to do a better job here? Isn't, aren't there questions about how the federal government is handling this? What is your take on this writ large? Well, I think you're right. I think there is a lot of noise and it's hard to, to wade through it all. My view is, you know, our vaccine rollout campaign is nothing to write home about. It hasn't been great, but we have to focus on what's controllable now. So I think there'll be time later on for recriminations or whatever we want to do, uh, lashing ourselves, whatever. We can do that in the future. But right now we should focus on what what's going on right now and what can we do about it. And what's going on right now is we have ordered a lot of vaccine. It's slow to arrive. So we should be focusing on when it arrives let's get it into people as quickly as possible. So I think to me, I like to live in the present. This is what we have to focus on. Let's do it as well as we can going forward. In the present, Andre, I have a lot of time on my hands for recrimination. I take your point, like what is to be gained by a blame game, but there are a lot of stories. There's sub stories to this. I mean, there's the question of 
procurement itself, the deals that our government has signed with pharmaceutical companies. As journalists, we have to be concerned about the secrecy of those deals. It's hard to inform the public about this stuff when we don't know much about it. And then there's copious coverage of this question of vaccine production. Our government telling us, well, we don't have the capabilities. I thought we invested in the capabilities. Why can't we manufacture our own? I've read conflicting reports about that. Then there's this like conflict or the split between federal and provincial governments where certain premiers are taking matters into their own hands and trying to like secure their own supply. There's this COVAX subplot where like Canada is thinking about nabbing vaccines from much poorer countries. And then there's questions about which vaccines we'd be getting if we were to do that thing and the moral questions inherent. And like, then there's like a, a story that I think got lost in this whole thing. This deal that, that Trudeau made with China where we actually had Canadian research, right? I mean, you must have followed this closer than I. We actually researched a vaccine and we made a deal with a Chinese pharmaceutical company that we would give them the secret formula and then they'd send us back vaccine for testing and then we would share in the profits. And then they just welched on the deal in apparent political payback for, for Meng. Like, they just didn't send us the vaccines. So there, like, there's a lot to keep track of here. When all I really want to know is when am I going to get stabbed in the arm and, and I can go on vacation? Yeah, there is a lot to keep track of. There's a lot to be angry about. People can vent and that's all fine. I often come back to, would it be any different if a different government was in place? And I, I don't think it would be. Uh, you know, you can like the Trudeau government, you can like Aaron O'Toole, whatever. I'm not sure that anyone in the current situation would have done any better. That's, I think, we have to remember. Can we produce our own vaccines? Absolutely. There's no reason. But that was something we had to correct 10 years ago. We can't correct it overnight. Maybe we'll do it going forward. That would be great. Uh, other issues like China, I think that deal was, was not a bad deal on the surface. Uh, it's easy for people to say, oh, we should have known China would rip us off, whatever. Easy to say in retrospect. But, you know, who can predict geopolitics, how they, they play out? So I think a lot of these issues have explanations. They don't always have good explanations. They have a lot of excuses sometimes. But I, again, I think we have to focus on what can we do now and we can correct these other longer term things in, in the longer term. I mean, this is like... Emotions are, are, are raised about this. I mean, I, I think we probably would otherwise be heading to the polls, right, the, 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 this spring. And it seems that they've pushed back the election because public sentiment has turned against the liberal government for these very reasons. I guess it's a question of balancing being patient and sober-minded as a population and saying, you know what, it's going to take longer than we would prefer, but we're relatively healthy, we can wait, and there's lots of stuff to consider here, versus this is a democratic country, and, and we are supposed to hold our, our leaders to account, and it's fair to judge our government's performance against other governments' performance. There are some apples-to-apples -apples comparisons we can make, and you know that like might affect election outcomes when we do head to the polls, but maybe more pressingly, there's just a lot of unknowns. Like People can't get good information, and, and they can't plan their lives. Yeah, there's no question there's a lot of unknowns and some of them are just because we don't know. We don't know how production is going to play out. I think what's interesting to me is I, I look at a lot of papers around the world and the headlines are the same everywhere. Nobody's happy with their governments. Everybody's really anxious to get this. You know, outside of Israel, I, I can't think of any country where anyone's satisfied with the vaccine rollout. Now, that doesn't excuse ours being bad. But when I look at these things, I hear people say, oh, we're 52nd in vaccination 
if we're 12 next week, that's not going to make me feel any better about this. I'm still going to be critical of it. I, I think this numbers game in the short term is not very useful and it's not very helpful. I, I think we will get a large number of vaccines by the end of March. Uh, we'll get a lot more by the summer. And I think, you know, aiming for the fall is realistic for most Western countries. And then you have to look at the larger picture and larger picture being, uh, you know, the old public health maxim that no one is safe until everyone is safe. So, you know, rushing to get uh, healthy 25 year olds vaccinated in Canada is not going to be useful if no one in Africa is vaccinated. So I think we have to try and balance this stuff out. And, and that gets lost in kind of the, the partisan hysteria. There is something ugly about those lists where, you know, it's such fodder for opinion writers to kind of like, you know, you, you, your finger is going up the list. And you're like, all right, the Dutch are beating us, but we expect that. We expect Swedes to beat us. And it's really a search for poor countries. Like it's, it's, it's you want that argument point of like, oh, there's some Caribbean country that's doing better than us. Or if there's an African country that's doing, and, and then you can kind of, you know, you can flip that onto the government and say, look at us, we're, we're doing worse than X. And it, it is a reflection of some pretty ugly attitudes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we should be looking at countries that have the highest rates of infection and we should be hoping they get vaccinated first. You know, we can look at the US and say, oh, they're vaccinating so many more people. Well, they have a lot more dead people too. We have to balance that out. The priority should be going to places is most at risk, not just people most at risk within our, our country that overall, I think, is doing fair to Midland. We're not uh, certainly not the worst in the world. So you have to, if you want to play the stats game, you have to look at other stats other than just vaccination. I wonder if you're not advising patients in part because of like an awareness of just how ugly this might get. You know, we're, we're getting like recommendations that the way that we roll out vaccines based on who this is affecting, we should prioritize racialized communities because they are disproportionately affected by this. You're looking at a situation where the populace are going to be pitting, you know, snowbirds and people who want to see their grandkids against younger parents who have to go to work in a factory setting. Uh, who's more likely to spread it versus who's more deserving to get it? There's kind of like really socially divisive potential in this who gets jabbed first conversation. That's a very Canadian game, right? Who's more worthy? Who should be first? And I think a lot of that has to just sort of be cast aside. It's about doing it quickly, doing it as efficiently as possible, making difficult choices that are never going to be perfect or right even, but just making decisions and, and doing it. Yeah, it's just hard to live in a fog. Like you talk about uh, the fall as the date, the date of, of, of us getting the vaccines in the country or getting them in our arm. Is that the date of getting the second dose? What about passports? There's just like so many steps we have to get through to get to the place where everybody wants to get. If we get away from this conversation of should we be angry at government or not, we can certainly agree that people have a, a legitimate interest in just knowing as much as they can, as soon as they can, where do you go like to cut through the noise and just get the facts and, and like your daily checkup on how is the vaccine rollout going today? Where, where is the best information from your point of view? I just go to this little website, uh, Vaccine Tracker Canada, tells us exactly how many doses have arrived, how many have been uh, administered to people, how many people are fully vaccinated. That's all I want to know. The other stuff, uh, you know, if it's coming on Tuesday or Wednesday, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I see those headlines every day. You know, Moderna has been delayed by one day or it's moved ahead at shipment by two days. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. That stuff's going to all be worked out in the wash.
Andre, on this show, uh, one thing we like to do for our listeners is let them know about news stories that are not getting enough attention or, or maybe are just deserving of more attention. Do you have something to duly note today? I think the one that uh, interests me, I've been uh, writing a lot about elder care of late, uh, finishing a book, and I think we've kind of neglected those seniors living in the community. We've paid a lot of attention to what the horrors in long-term care, uh, the vaccine rollout for, you know, getting into long-term care, but those, so many people just live in the community. We forget that most older people don't live in homes. They live in their own homes. They often live isolated. We've been telling them for a year, stay inside, don't go out, it's dangerous, and a lot of them are living in this just terrible isolation and loneliness. And I, I think that's going to have a real impact on their health. And it's a really a neglected story, unfortunately. It seems like very young people and very old people and this question of the mental health cost, the mental health pandemic that coexists as caused by the, the coronavirus pandemic. It's like there's like this scale. And on the one hand, it's all the things we're trying to do to suppress the virus. And then there's these other health problems that it creates. And at what point does that scale get offset? What are your thoughts on that? Like, have you have you heard a compelling case for it's actually more important that we get people outdoors? It's more important to you know take some reasonable risks uh, for people's mental health and just for people to socialize with each other again? I think we definitely have to find some balance. You know, going outside is so important. Uh, we can't have people living in fear for, you know, isolated, locked away. That's definitely not good for their health. Now, when you have a virus, a pandemic virus, you have to make that the focus, of course. But yeah, you do have to try and find some balance. And again, the vaccine gives us some real hope there that people will be be freed from their, their self-made prisons pretty soon. All right, duly noted. I want to duly note a situation that our colleague Emily Nicola is um, is facing right now, but it's not unique to her. Here's the story, Andre. She is a black woman who writes things on Twitter, and, and that means that she uh, absorbs a lot of abuse all the time. And she writes also for newspapers like the Gazette and Le Devoir. She gets really horrific uh, responses to everything she writes. But it seems like there was this one tweet um, where somebody suggested that uh, you know her publishers, her, her editors should replace her with a different black columnist whose uh, opinions they liked better. And in response to that, Emily joked around like sarcastically, like, "Oh yeah, black people are just Pokemon cards that, uh, that you know that newspaper editors can exchange with each other." What happened next, it seems, and a Facebook user named uh, Xavier Camus seems to have traced this back. There was a campaign amongst right wing trolls who realized that decontextualize the sentence about black people being Pokemon cards. This presented an opportunity to report Emily Nicola's Twitter account to Twitter as being like a hateful account. And, and if, if uh, all of these different people reported her for hate speech at the same time, the combination of that many people flagging her and then the fact that her tweet did just like include the words, uh, you know, that the algorithm might be aware of as as problematic words. If you're talking about race, uh, it can't discern the context of whether or not you're joking, satire, which side you're on, whether what you're whether you're quoting somebody. I don't know. They don't disclose what the algorithm makes its decisions based on. But there is a, a growing body of like cases where racism kind of gets baked into algorithms, and that's something that I'm fascinated with. But in the immediate sense. Emily Nicola was, was booted off Twitter. Her account was locked down. And trying to get any kind of accountability 
from Twitter, from Cameron Gordon, the, the head of communications for Twitter Canada, by the way, trying to find out who, who, who that person is, or you know, I happen to know that a lot of people don't. It's just the kind of thing where a journalist who relies on Twitter, uh, you know, for better or for worse, th- this is where we are. I, like, I live in fear of losing my Twitter account. The fact that, that that she can be booted off and the process of booting her off takes hours. Uh, the process of getting her account back still hasn't happened yet. This is a problem. And it, it seems to be a problem that disproportionately happens to black women. And, you know, it's a disgusting idea that Emily Nicola has a hateful Twitter account. It's just, you know, robots can be fooled, but no human being making an honest assessment of her contributions would ever reach that conclusion. So I think she needs to be reinstated on Twitter as soon as possible. But I think there's a larger issue here where we need some accountability because we are relying on these platforms for our expression. Yeah, so where to begin? Uh, as someone who follows uh, follows Emily on uh, on Twitter, yeah, I think it's outrageous what's happened to her. Uh, it shows us the limitations, I think, of some AI uh, of bots that we use to control our daily communications, and uh, it's a big issue in healthcare. How do we use AI? Do you, how do you avoid this racism being baked in? How do you avoid? unintended consequences. These are all very complex issues. And this is just a a striking example of something stupid happening for probably well-intentioned reasons of people using uh, tools that were designed to root out hate to uh, be hateful. So it's a lot of the the paradoxes of of daily life uh, in modern world, in the, the internet world. Yeah, I mean, I think Twitter's uh, might have good intentions in trying to create some way of uh, reporting abuse, but I think that uh, the people who are trying to who who have, who have uh, gotten Emily booted off uh, temporarily, I hope, are not in good faith and don't have good intentions. Um, and you know, like we need to stop their ability to do that. Absolutely. You know, I'm constantly, I do spend way too much time on Twitter and I'm always puzzled by who's blocked, whose uh, tweets are removed and whose aren't. Uh, it all often seems very random. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Andre, a report from the AP, the Associated Press, um, caught my attention this week. Listen, AP collaborated with the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab. They spent nine months investigating to identify who are the super spreaders of coronavirus misinformation. This is like a fascinating journalistic project. Big enterprise project of like all of the bad information, the conspiracy theories, the bullshit. And, And like the virus itself, they could trace it back to a small handful of sources whose erroneous messaging got spread far and wide and I think is pretty damaging. And they traced it back to two sources with Canadian connections. The first one is the Montreal-based Center for Research on Globalization, globalresearch.ca. Have you heard of this website, this center before, Andre? No, I saw that article and I was quite surprised by it. It was new. Most of this was news to me. I don't know... uh, I don't think I know of any of those people in any great uh, detail. So, no, I haven't heard of that uh, institute. But we know that these uh, groups that spread misinformation like to give themselves fancy uh, hoity-toity names. Yeah, and I mean, it's just pixels on a page. You can kind of look at a legitimate institute and make your site look like that. Um, This site, uh, they they have posted more than uh, 40,000 posts since launching in uh, 2001. They were investigated by NATO in 2017 for pro-Russia propaganda and disinformation. I think they started off as like a a 9-11 truther website. And this was interesting to us, not just because it's Montreal-based, but because it's led by one Michel Chosodovsky, retired professor of economics from the University of Ottawa. One of our team members remembers Professor Chosodovsky from like pre-2001, like in the late 90s, he was kind of one of the voices on the far left, actually, about uh, an an economist who was raising flags about uh, globalization um, and the effect of globalization and, and spreading poverty around the world. So it just goes to show you that this stuff can come from the left or the right. Chalcedowski later, uh, you know, has published all kinds of 9-11 truther nonsense and believes that, uh, the U S military controls weather patterns. This is where a lot of this stuff comes from, from globalresearch.ca. And the other Canadian link here is not from a Canadian site, but from a site called Great Game India, in which Canada figures into their uh, mythical coronavirus plot. And their story of where coronavirus comes from is that it was first found in the lungs of a Saudi man, a man from Saudi Arabia, and it was then sent to labs in the Netherlands and then Canada. And it was from Canada that Chinese scientists stole coronavirus. Uh, and that's where we fact factor in to uh, the engineering of coronavirus, according to Great Game India. I'm curious from your perspective as a health reporter, like how big a problem has misinformation been since the pandemic began in your eyes? You know, I don't think it's often at this level. I don't think a lot of people believe that, you know, this virus was created in a lab, et cetera, taken from a, a Saudi man or whatever. I, I think that really far out stuff is pretty marginal. Do you think that we bear any responsibility for that in, in the media? Like, I mean, you and I have been talking about this since pretty much the beginning. Um, and I know that you have been 
careful to balance your messaging because on the one hand, journalists and especially health reporters like you have a very particular and specific um, role, you and, and, and a handful of other health reporters, people look to you as a plain dealer. I think that you have taken that responsibility very seriously and and interpreted that in, in, in terms of like, well, are you just going to give people all of the information you have or are you going to measure out what you tell them when? Because we do have a responsibility, especially the early stages in terms of like, um, managing how people behave. And I'm thinking about in the early days, we were having these debates about like, oh, masks, you know, do we really need them? But there was also a big concern about people hoarding masks. And I think that there were certain public health officials who were, I think, late to uh, talk about certain, just like holding back certain truths about like, uh, of course, it, it's a reasonable precaution to wear masks, even if the science isn't fully known yet, it couldn't hurt, except for the fact that we're trying to keep those, the PPE in the hands of of uh, health workers at the beginning. But I think people were dissuaded from, you know, in fact, sometimes we were like overtly told that it's that you don't need a mask. Um, and I know that like you've got like, you know, on BC, Premier Horgan admitted that he was holding back information from the public because he didn't want to cause hysteria. And I think that that places journalists in the middle between public health officials and politicians on the one side and the public who we serve on the other. And when when we hold back information, that creates a vacuum into which misinformation can spread. Is there anything to that? I think there's something, but you know, it's good to have doubt. It's good to be skeptical, but you have to balance that out with uh, realism, uh, facts, etc. On the holding back of information, I think I don't think we serve anyone if we just sort of shovel stuff out. You know, here's everything we know, and we're going to shovel it at you, and you're going to have to figure it out. I think we have a job to do some some parsing, some analysis to give people, uh, you know, a true picture or as true a picture as we know in that moment. Something like masks, uh, I still get grief over that for saying, you know, in the early days, I said, listen, wear one if you want, but it's not the end of the world. If you don't, uh, you have to consider that the important thing is for health workers to wear them. And I, I would still say that thing, that same thing, given the same information available at that time. And I think that's what people forget is that information evolves. We learn more. You have to give people more information depending on the context of what's going on. You know, I've used the uh, the description of an onion, you know, so to give people the outer layers. That's what a lot of people want to know. I just need to know the outer layer. Some want to go deeper. And then some very few instances, you have to give them so much information that they are brought to tears. You know, you're right to the core of the onion. <laughs> and that that's how I think of information. You give it out uh, depending on the context and the, the seriousness of an issue. Was the reason why you were less firm about that, you know, wear a mask if you want, was that because you weren't sure if they were effective or was it because you didn't want there to be a run on masks because you, you were trying to make sure that there wasn't a, a scarcity of PPE? Like, were, were you acting, I guess, sort of like as an agent to balance those interests in the way that you convey that information? No, not really. In that case, it was just more, I was just looking at the the research, the I think the belief in public health at the time was that eh, masks were important, but not that important. And I think that's changed. That uh, thinking has evolved and that's a good thing. But, you know, people say, oh, the precautionary principle, 
precautionary principle is important, but it doesn't mean do everything all the time. If we had put everyone in a mask last March, maybe we would have prevented some cases, but maybe would have caused other unintended consequences, frightening people, panic. We don't know what the consequences would have been. So I think I, I'm always, I always come back to this, but I'm always hesitant to go back and, and reconsider things in hindsight, given what we know now. It's not that useful. I mean, I hear you. Like it's 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 hindsight's twenty twenty. It's just so weird to think back on. Like we were so careful. Like it was like wash your hands every five minutes. It was like this. I mean, we didn't know then. We thought that uh, surface to surface was going to a much much bigger spreader. But it it does looking back on that. And I'm not just talking about your comments. It does look like we were just kind of cavalier about like yeah, like you know pretty damn good chance that it could be spread through aerosolized. Uh, droplets and like why not and now we're telling people where to so when you go back and you look at like Teresa Tam or others like it's like that was strange like it, it feels like uh well, I mean scientifically we now know that of course that would have saved lives and been better if we had made that mandatory sooner yeah absolutely and if the virus had never gone out uh, in the first place we'd be safer too there's all kinds of things that we wish would have happened <laughs> and I think the masking one is another example of of wishful thinking we were hoping this wasn't spread human to human there were some early studies uh, out of China which we now know were not uh, uh, very kosher telling us oh no no it's not spreading human to human so there was misinformation from official channels too that that confused the issue Right, right. I mean, it looks pretty stupid when I look back at uh, my behavior in uh, January of 2020, why I didn't buy a ticket to Australia for me and my family and just stay there. You know, <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? Andre, thank you very much. Thank you. That is uh, Canada Land Shortcuts for the week. I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com. And I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Andre, where can people find you? Uh, Picard on Health. Our website is CanadaLand.com. Check it out. Sign up for our newsletter. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. And our theme music is by SoCalled. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. Listen, if you like this podcast, if you like any of our podcasts, if we are informing you, if we're a good part of your life, help us make them. Uh, it's easy. It's uh, a click away. Just click on the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join and you'll get ad-free podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.